Um, something not political whatsoever. Cool. But I had I cannot not talk about this real quick because so I was listening to um I was supposed to listen to the whole thing because Sarah told me to, but I didn't. I listened to like the beginning of her interview with you. Yeah. And you guys were talking about soccer. And I, if you're into soccer, I did not know if you knew about First State FC that we are bringing soccer to Delaware. And I would just love to share that with you because I love soccer fans. I absolutely did know that. Um, I did. I, I don't know. How, I, I I heard that it was uh, being announced. I was really happy with like the the rollout because it looked cool. I'm sort of an old. I'm a, like a traditionalist. I don't like new things, so I like like old fashioned names, old fashioned badges, all that kind of stuff. And um and yeah, I remember when it was announced. Are they going to play their matches like at the at the Seventy Sixers Fieldhouse where the ground is there? So here was here's the thing. We wanted to be so it's my it's me and my friend Dave. Um and Dave is like the day-to-day guy and I did oh, I'm going to be short now if you don't mind. Um, <laughs> um so Dave um is like the day-to-day day-to-day guy. He's worked with Chipsa, the coach, um mostly and we're trying to figure out what Chipsa too because obviously with like collegiate soccer being you know so Chipsa coaches at at um at UD. And initially before COVID, our hope was to play at one of the local high schools and potentially even Tower Hill. Um, but we, what we're trying to do is get into the new Abyssinio Stadium because that would be an ideal location. And like, as much as like Chester is not like the Philly team plays in Chester, right? Like we didn't want a Wilmington team playing, you know, somewhere like where people couldn't get to the stadium, right? right? Like we want as many people to access this as possible. So hopefully we can get there for 2021, 2020 season, you know, obviously never got off the ground, which honestly was better from like a spent like investment point of view, because we hadn't like invested in it yet. Right. Like in all the things to ramp up, but we've got sponsorships and we've got chips as an amazing coach and we've got kids who want to play. So I'm really excited for 2021. I'm just hoping we can be in a place where we can play. Yeah. I'm, I, and I'm excited to hear that because both tower Hill and, uh, I'll still call it Maynard. Again, I'm traditionalist. I, I never, I never change. Um, but yeah, they're both. I, I can walk to either one in ten minutes in either direction. So I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm great with that. Well, how did you, how, how, how did you uh, get into it? Did you play it in in school, or did you, were you into it as a smaller kid? Yeah. So I've always been into soccer, and I actually end up playing field hockey though. Um, in Pennsylvania, where I grew up, you, it, they're both fall sports for for girls. Yeah. Um, which is a shame, but field hockey is the same. It's the same, um, like strategic 11 players positioning, right? Like, so that part, I've always been a fan. And then I end up playing hockey. My husband and friends in college were also really into soccer and we're big fans. We're actually Arsenal fans. Oh, uh, come on. I know. <laughs> come on. Okay. Okay. Well, that was great. Uh, we're going <laughs> to sign off now. Oh God. I'm so sorry. Like, listen. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than Premier League, or actually, from my perspective, Scottish League soccer. So my family lives in Kilmarnock, um, and Killy is our local team. Oh, nice. Um, and so, and my mom, growing up, would never let me go um, to a to like a Celtic game, or you know, like yeah. it was just too old firm. Uh, yeah, a little. My mom's like, you're gonna learn too many words there. I don't want you to know. Yeah, so, I mean, really, but... that's of of all the you know of all the big derbies in the world, that old firm derby is probably one of the most um, interesting. Con- contentious. Vicious. Yeah, contentious. Yeah. I mean, yes. when I was like, when I was like in the '90s, when I would be with my cousins over there, like that was when you know I think that one, I think at one game there was actually someone was killed. Like, I think you were like yeah, outside or, you know, like it, it was really contentious and they've done a great job, honestly, a great job, I think in the, in the Premier League too. But anyway, so my husband's really into it. We all still follow, follow soccer. And my friend Dave and I actually took the dollar bar together and he, and I have always talked about soccer and he is an entrepreneur to his core and he started his own firm and recently and he just had this dream of of bringing soccer in Delaware and kind of bringing a higher level of play here. And, you know, I'm kind of the same way where maybe I don't always have like the core idea, but I'm always on board to like make something happen. And, you know, we worked through MPSL with all of the process and, 
it was super interesting. I loved connecting with NPSL. I love supporting my friend Dave because I think he always does a great job. And look, the outcome is that we're going to have a high level of play here in the city. And I think for kids growing up around Wilmington, Newcastle County, I think it's going to be a game changer for like the way we talk about soccer and, and train kids with soccer. It's, we're, our goal is really to have a community team I love that, that you know brings people in. And like, we want to do clinics. Like we just want to build it. And this is not like one of those profit. This is not a profit making enterprise. Right? Yeah, this is yeah, a, yeah. Like love of I, the game and wanting to spread the game. I love that. I was so excited. I worked um, at the time that they founded the, the union, uh, Philadelphia Union. I worked in the, in the building in Chester next to where the ground was going to be. It wasn't even there yet. <clears throat> and so I was, that's where their office was. I was really excited um, to, to have, you know, uh, in the top division, have a team in Philadelphia. Uh, we had six season tickets the first season. I was extremely disappointed in MLS, though. I, I don't like it. Um, I didn't like it before. Yeah, I just, I didn't like it. But if you get hyper local and you have something, you know, right here, I think would be different. I just, MLS is more of like a novelty act. Um, that's to me. You know what I mean? I hear you. Um, which is, I, I have no problem with it. Like, I, I understand what it is and that's how they sell it. And, and that's what, that's cool, I guess. It's just not, that's not how I came up you know i started supporting spurs in, in 86 i was 11 years old i love so, it so yeah so it just wasn't for me you know um but wait but who yeah. got you into spurs like was it like a family member or you just like were like spurs is my team here's what it is it's actually i've told the story a few times i don't know if i recorded it so now i'm recording it um so the first um world cup that was televised in the united states live so you could watch a live match at the weekend so um, in, in 86, in June and July, the World Cup was in Mexico. And so the games were on at, the, at just in the afternoon, uh, and they were putting one or two games on a weekend. Like, you didn't get the group games during the week or anything. But And um, so I'm following it as an 11-year-old kid thing. This is awesome. And the guy who won the Golden Boot was a guy on England, Gary Lineker. And he had just completed a, tran a huge transfer uh, to Barcelona from Tottenham Hotspur. And I had never heard of Tottenham Hotspur. And I was like, well, that sounds cool. I'm going to follow Tottenham Hotspur. So that's that's how it happened. And then I've just followed them uh, ever since. But I tell people, you know, they don't kind of try to explain to them. Like when I was in the 80s and early 90s, like I had to get magazines from Europe like a month later to, to figure out who like who's on top of the Bundesliga. Like I had no idea. There was no Internet. There was nothing. There was nothing. Uh, the only thing, the only thing there was, was there was a show on ESPN called Gillette World Sports Special, and it was like a half hour every week, but it was all European sports. It was cycling, it was uh, rally racing, uh, it was all. But they always uh, covered the first the English first division, and they would show a match, a condensed match, like into fit, ten minutes. They showed like ten minutes of highlights of, a, of one match, and that's how I followed the English league through Gillette World Sports Special. It was That's a, so cool. Yeah, it was it was fun. Now it's you know it's on every day. Spurs will be on somewhere today in the Europa League. You know you can you can just go on a computer and watch whatever you want. Hello everyone. Uh, this is your Highlands Bunker podcast. This is Rob. I'm in the Shadow of Rockford Tower in the Bunker Studio. Uh, we are coming down the home stretch of the 2020 election derby. Um, the Delaware Democrats are on the precipice of seeding a new look caucus. Out with the old, out with the very old, out with the ossified, and in with a new team and a new hope. Uh, our guest today is vying to be part of that new group of legislators. Kyle Evans Gay is an attorney and a mother of two. She is running for state senate in the fifth district. Brandywine Hundred, and she is attempting to unseat a 20-year Republican incumbent in Kathy Clodier. I am happy to welcome Kyle Evans Gay to the Highlands Bunker Podcast. Hi, Kyle. Hey, how are you? I'm well. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to chat. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention right out of the gate, um, the first time I saw a photograph of you and your family, I didn't think it was real. It was like out of central casting. You have like the, the 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 brawny husband with the hairline that I appreciate, and your daughters look like miniature versions of you, uh, which is adorable. Uh, so I was like, "Well, look at this family." So that was I was like, "Is this is this real?" 
<laughs> that is, yeah. That's so funny. I'll have to tell my husband that you appreciate his hairline. He has yeah. that camaraderie with the big uh, crowd. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm during um, the COVID, I've been letting it grow long. So it's like long in the back and just pulling it back. But, you know, I'm, I'm counting the days until it's a, it's a big situation. So, you know, I'm, I see that and I'm like, oh, he, he's, he's already there. He's where I'm going to be. He's like, I look up to people like that because I'll, I'll definitely be there myself. Well, it's, and it's funny you mentioned my two girls cause, um, gosh, they are everything every day. Um, and I love them dearly and it has been such a joy to be their mom, but that didn't come easy. Um, my, I'm an IVF patient and spent many years trying to have a family and really had to decide that I wanted a family. So I know, you know, we've, you know, we've worked on some legislation in Dover surrounding that. So it's just interesting because, you know, photos are, are, are don't always tell like the whole story of, of where people have been and what they've been through. So I appreciate, um, I appreciate you mentioning that and them, because I guess we'll talk about that too. You, you know, they are a huge um, reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today and, and kind of have really shaped my perspective on the importance um, of certain things that we have to get done in Dover. Yeah. Well, let's, let's take a, let's take a step back generationally. Uh, wh where are you from originally? What did, what did you grow up and what was it like? And, um, you know, maybe how did it, uh, how did it lead you onto a, a course into the law and to public service? I know. I appreciate that. So I grew up um, actually about 15 minutes from where I live right now. I live in uh, North Wilmington, right by Brandywine High School, but I grew up over the line in Pennsylvania. So my mom actually um, spent her adolescence here in Brandywine 100, went to Concord High School. My dad was a Newark High grad. Um, he would say brat. Um, and, you know, he, they, in 1985, made a decision to move across the line for a couple of reasons. I mean, my dad always wanted some land. He He's a hard worker and he just loves, you know, being outside and wanted just some, a plot of land of his own. But I mean, also quite frankly, the education system. And so they moved across the line. They raised my sister and me in Kennett Square. I went to Unionville, Chadsford School Districts and really had a, a benefit of an amazing public school education. Um, I went off to college after that. I uh, met my husband at Brown University. He's from Vermont. I got him to come back to Delaware, which I feel is a great accomplishment. And uh, he actually has adopted uh, adopted Delaware as his own and is quite a proud citizen. Um, and was, you know, I worked in New York after undergrad and really um, at that point in time, it, was the crash, uh, you know, of the late aughts and decided that if I was going to make a difference and do anything that I needed to have the tools, like the personal toolbox to do that. And for me, it was going to law school. Um, and so, you know, it was, and we, and we can talk a little bit more about, you know, my legal experience, but getting back to Delaware, you know, was a goal for us. It just happened quite quickly in our, our early careers when my husband was offered a job to come back here to Delaware. He had worked here briefly before we moved to Boston. And uh, we jumped at the opportunity because we, you know, I, I spent so much time in North Wilming in particular, growing up and in Newark with my entire extended family who's been in, De in Delaware. People would ask me questions about Pennsylvania. I was like, I do not know because I don't think I've been north of media, you know, except for 10 times in my life. Um, you know, everything we did was in Delaware. And so when coming back to the area, like this was where we wanted to, settle and, ra and raise our kids. And, and for us, you know, it just meant being a part of the community and kind of adding, you know, being additive or being, being a contributor in any way we could. And so, you know, for me, that wasn't immediately politics. That was working with organizations in Wilmington that was, you know, taking on leadership responsibilities within the Delaware bar, um, working on equity um, in the bar um, that me meant pro bono work that I could do. And so, you know, while no one thing really said, you know, run for office, it, definitely in the future, I can see now looking back, how all of those different experiences showed me, I think, both what was possible and what is possible um, from our state legislature, and also what is needed. And what like what I'd like to contribute on a greater policy level um, to Delaware. Yeah, I definitely want to get into those details, but first let's let's interrogate that the sort of the legal background and sort of how that led you into advocacy. 
um, this is my position, and I'm interested in, in, in sort of the specifics. One of the most egregious, sort of sinister, cruel institutions of our obsolete and dysfunctional institutions uh, is the criminal justice system. Um, there's simply nothing really just about it. Um, I personally see it as a state institution of selective violence uh, and enforcement to achieve particular social and economic ends. Um, its aims have very little to do with the safety of human beings and our neighbors, and it's more or less ensuring inequality and maintaining the hierarchies as they exist. Uh, it just jams people through a, a meat mincer uh, cradle to grave. You know, they call it school to prison pipeline, however you want to, you know, kind of describe it. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you're the daughter of a law enforcement father um, who also was a state prosecutor. Um, these facts sometimes draw my suspicion, I'll say. Um, so I'm just interested about that part of your background um, and how that sort of influenced your decision to do advocacy and some of the things that you've worked on and, and, and what pushed you sort of into politics, too, um, from, the, from the legal background. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot there and there's a lot that I want to hit on. So I'm just going to, I'll start with kind of maybe timeline wise, right? So my experience growing up being part of a law enforcement family, my father was an officer at um, University of Delaware Public Safety for his uh, police career, uh, could not get on the state police because he has no depth perception uh, due to an incident when he was younger. So that really kind of steered his career in that direction. Um, I will say my vision or my impression, I think, of policing comes from what I learned from him and how I hear him, have heard him over his entire career talk about his job. And maybe it's because he was on a college campus, maybe because he was dealing with a, a population of folks that needs a certain type of, of help. Um, you know, I always saw him as taking part taking a role in the community. And if you know my dad, and again, I this is not to say, I'm not making a judgment about police officers. I just want to say, if you know my dad, my dad is, he's a Mason. He's the guy who will go pick up the 87-year-old Mason to take him to a meeting because he can't drive anymore. And, and that's his link to the community. My, my dad will, he's the guy who will bring his truck to help anyone, you know, do a job or whatever it is. And, and I say that only because I think that's how he approached policing. He will would and will do anything for anyone. And I do think that we need people like that in that role of immense power that police have. Um, and, you know, my dad would talk to me about his job when I was younger. And I, my dad, I think, would have made a great uh, attorney, you know, prosecutor, defender in criminal justice system. Uh, but that wasn't his path. You know, his path um, ended up, he needed a job and he got a job in public safety and he ended up there. And he would talk to me about the values of justice, what is fair, what is right um, to do. He would talk to me about the things he did that a lot of us, I think, wouldn't necessarily think about when you think about a, a campus cop, which was, you know, I often share this, one of the most impactful conversations I had with my father was when I was in middle school and he came home and he sat me down and he talked to me about a young man who was going to take his life and how my dad was late coming home because he had to talk to that young man for hours about how they could help him and that his parents were on the other end of a phone and needed to talk to him and make sure he was okay. And so just that's all to say my vision of policing was framed by my interactions with this man who I admire greatly and who I think applied his whole self to his job. Um, so my, but my experience with my dad also means that I think I understand where police and police families come from when they are concerned about the safety of uh, their family members or themselves in this role, right? And that, you know, I understand that police are putting themselves on the line every day. Um, that's not to say that I don't, and my dad and I agree that, you know, we, we should be holding people accountable. So that's kind of like my, my kind of background as far as growing up in that environment. I do very much believe that 
it's been my relationship and, and my conversations with my dad that led me to seek out a position in criminal justice as a lawyer. And when I was in law school, I had the very awesome opportunity to work on the defense side and on the prosecution side and to practice that craft um, as a student. And when I sought a, a position after law school, I chose prosecution. And I did that because I firmly believed that I could work to change a system from the inside and that there's work to be done in making sure that when someone's coming in front of you and you're making a decision about a potential plea agreement or whether this is something that needs to be null pros, right? That you are bringing that compassion and that perspective about wanting to do the right thing and making sure that everyone is fairly treated you know, in that position of power. And I do think that that is something that is being done currently in the attorney general's office. The idea that we can use that position, the attorney general, you know, Kathy Jennings, also the team that she's built to be a voice of change and a voice of reform from that position of power. Um, and so when I think about the time I spent as a prosecutor in that office, uh, when Bo was AG and when Kathy Jennings, our current AG, was the state prosecutor, you know, I learned a, a vast amount just by even watching other people practice, you know, and by, you know, writing briefs for the Supreme Court and by working in traffic court and, you know, making arguments on behalf of the state. And what I saw convinced me that, yes, you can change things from the inside, but also, you know, and this is where we find ourselves today, I'm running for office. If you have uh, a passion to do more and perhaps quicker, that you have to maybe even go and try another avenue. And I think legislatively, we have a lot to do. And I think that I can make the most impact personally on our criminal justice reforms if I'm down there and contributing and being a voice for equity and a voice for being rational and fair. And I mean, we can talk about any number of reforms, but that's where I think I can contribute. And I think that bringing the perspective I have as the daughter of a police officer, bringing the perspective I have as a former prosecutor, bringing the perspective I have as someone who represents children in foster care whose parents are going are often justice involved, bringing the perspective I have as someone who works with young people and adults to get their um, to get their charges expunged. Right, all of these perspectives I think are valuable in that conversation. And I think I am able to say I have stood there in the courtroom and dealt with and, and seen how this plays out. And I'm here to tell you it has to be different. And that's why you should listen to me when I am fighting for these reforms. No, I think that that's I appreciate that um, because, number one, you know, I say a lot of things about police in general, the criminal justice system, and I and I do believe that I think it's a horror show. Um, I, I I don't have much respect for the police as an institution, but I don't think that has to do with individuals in it. Some of the individuals are are great. Some of the individuals are advocates and they're looking to do things. Some of them are not. Uh, I guess my issue is if we don't talk about the system as a whole and and talk about where the power is who's really in danger, what's really the outcomes, like what's really happening. If we don't talk about them, um, you know, openly and clearly, I think we get into this idea of like, a, you know, that there's some kind of symbiotic relationship that's happening where really it's it's a it's a it's, it's not that at all. Um, but I think that that's fair. I, I think people we certainly need people who have experience and, and know what the pressure points are and. You know, I've had conversation with the AG. Um, I know, you know, it's a political office and, and there's there's certain other political things that need to be considered. But I, I do think that there are people who have a an honest um, desire to to make change. Um, but, I, I, you know, and that's sort of why I frame the question this way, because I, I don't think if, if, if we don't talk about it in ways that used to be sort of um, forbidden or, or, you know, out of line, 
I don't think we're going to get anywhere. Yeah. And I think the key is, is that we have to get somewhere. It's in, I mean, it's in, it's incredibly frustrating when you come, when, when you, when you identify an issue that you want to see changed and then you take one step further and you see the 10 other issues that are, are contributing and you start to think like, you know, my frustration ends up where there's like this task force and this task force and this task force and all these issues are interrelated and the sooner i think what you're saying and if you are i'm echoing it the sooner we start talking about the overarching concern and where we want to be not just this band-aid that band-aid this band-aid then we're going to start to have the conversations that get us somewhere and i think a lot of those conversations where we have where we talk about band-aids and policies and like perfunctory pieces of legislation we need them but if we don't talk about the underlying issues and the biases and the history of why we're here then we're not really going to we're not going to change the, the the underlying system right like we're trying to transform society to be more equitable and we're going to use legislation to get there, but legislation isn't going to get us there alone. Yeah, and I think that what you said is right. I, I don't I think there has to be some admission about what is really happening in a broader sense and what this institution uh, is is really doing. Um, you know, if, if we continue to say, well, you know, it's just about public safety and uh, and police are are in danger which i don't believe that they are um I, i'm not saying it i'm not saying there's no danger in, involved in, in the job uh obviously but um you know if we fall into these tropes and we continue to sort of use those without looking at a bigger picture and without wanting to really have an impact on equity and justice then we're not going to get anywhere and so that's sort of why i'm always pushing on on those buttons rather than um, uh, you know, a, a tweak here and there or, or, or some, you know, some bandaid, as you say. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. And I do want to, um, sort of put a pin in that idea of the task force. I have a few things here to talk about. I, you were probably, you were probably expecting that and you, you, you preempted me. That's good. But I, I don't know if I was expecting it now. I'm nervous. What, what? <laughs> I wouldn't be nervous. I wouldn't be nervous. We, we will, we will get to that. We, we, well, let's, 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 let's get to that now. I'll tell you what, I, well, well it, it, it's not even really one in particular. It's, it's a general idea. Um, so let's, we'll talk about it now <clears throat> in January. Um, if all goes well on the 3rd of November, um, we're going to be sending a, a new Delaware squad to Dover. This is my construction. This is a, this is a copyright. This, this, this Delaware squad is a, is a moniker is property of Highlands Bunker podcast. I don't want anybody using it without, Noted. without noting it. Uh, but Marie Pinckney, Larry Lambert, uh, Eric Morrison, and Medina, and we're, we're going to be referring to Medina by one name, just like Prince, um, to me, they're going in, what they've done in their challenging inter-party incumbents is to show where we really are, what the vanguard is, to me. Those, those four candidates stand alone. Now, there are other people who have won uh, elections recently, uh, who were, you know, friends of ours, we'll say, um, who have sort of focused on the idea that they're going to set up a task force and they're going to send out press releases, and that's fun, I guess, for them. Uh, and the governor probably comes. Um, but after two years of the last one, we, we, we see nothing. Now, again, COVID uh, was able to sort of shut down the General Assembly last term, for, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, but I, I, I'm wondering what your thought is about this dynamic about um going to dover with a set of priorities and motivating motivating motive and a motivation for change and going to dover um sort of to uh to run the process do you know what i mean to, to run the process yeah i think there's an idea like to that, make a run at the process no to um <laughs> 
to uh, to sit on to 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 get the approval for a task force or to gotcha. put you know to talk to the police to see what they have to say about FY you know XYZ thing. Um, you know, there's a particular way that the General Assembly has run for 20 years. Um, it is, you know, probably no um, coincidence that Kathy's been there 20 years. Uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 look, I'm going to start calling people out. Tizzy Lockman, her victory was great. I love Tizzy. My, my wife, uh, Nurse Susan, was Tizzy's uh, campaign treasurer. Um, nothing's happening. The task force... It has a name that I don't remember. Uh, Coach Namdi's the co-chair. Nothing's happening. I see. I see press releases, but I don't. I don't see anything happening. Uh, I know that um, the governor has has you know tried to do some plays towards equitable funding. Uh, I know that there was another, I guess, executive order, or or, or the governor has made some sort of indication that if the legislature. Um, wants to do some sort of funding package for these schools, they'll do it. Um, you know, I'm not going to hold my breath uh, because I would asphyxiate myself if any. You know, if I waited. Um, so again, I, I I have no in, in issue with these individuals. I'm friends with a lot of them, but uh, I think the time for task force is over and the time for action has just begun. I guess is what I'm saying. And so I'm interested in your feeling about that dynamic because. You know, people use that word task force uh, as a sort of shorthand for um, nothing happening. I mean, I do. And I, I, I don't think you did particularly, but I, you sort of did. And, and so I wonder what your feeling is just about the general the general mechanics of the General Assembly and what you expect and what your motivation is on, on, on day one. You know, should you should you prevail on the 3rd of November? All right. Well. Rob, well, let's just say when I prevail. Come on, you got to throw me a when. Look, everyone <laughs> knows what my feeling. I'm I so actually, superstitious. I, I, I think you're going to win. I appreciate I, that. Let's I, just I, knock I, some wood on there because I don't even need any jinxing. I was just joking with you. No, I, and, and again, I usually do say, I, I, you know, and and this goes for everybody. Not I'm just, just busting the, you. Not just the four I mentioned. No, but it's fair. It's a fair point. Not not just the four people that I mentioned, but there are other there are other uh, folks. Uh, uh, I would be remiss not to mention uh, Stephanie Barry. I love Stephanie Barry. She's been in the studio. Um, yeah, so there's there are other folks outside of those four, uh, uh, Ray uh, in Middletown, Ray Moore, um, that that I think are, are really going down with, uh, you know, motivated for change and not motivated to, um, you know, sit on a committee. Um, not not to, I mean committee work. Not that it's not important and it shouldn't be done, but that's a that's a means to an end, not an end in itself. And so I, 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 I'm wondering what your, what your take on that dynamic is. So just backing up, I am a 34-year-old mom of two children under four years old who had a full-time job before I decided to uh, go on a short leave so that I could run a campaign. I am not doing this and have not been doing this for 14 months, so I can go and sit down and be quiet when told to be quiet in Dover. Um, I am have always been taught to speak my mind. I have always been taught to say what I believe in and be able to explain why it's so important. And I think that's why we've been successful on this campaign, because we have said what matters and we have not, we, we haven't, we've been very clear. In a, in a race where my opponent has been anything but um, clear and has been purposefully vague and is purposefully co-opting terms to try to paint a picture of someone who has a vision for the next you know 10 years when she should be telling us what she's done the past 20 years that have made our lives demonstrably better and she can't and so i just i think it's worth noting that this is a campaign that is going is is trying we're trying to get me to dover so that i can bring that same perspective and that same urgency and energy and enthusiasm for getting something done to the legislative process 
we are going to be sending down to Dover, even if I don't win, people who will do that. And that is what makes me know that no matter what happens, what I've done for the past 14 months was worth it. Because I think that this campaign has been part of a conversation statewide, a greater conversation where folks are ready to go down to Dover to get work done. You know, I talk about in my campaign, the idea of running against a career politician. And when you're a career politician and your next payday is from the state, you know, you kind of get used to that, whether it's notoriety or that job or that role or whatever it is, right? And, and that's your identity. My identity, no matter if I'm a senator or not, is as a mother. My identity as a, is as a professional and as an attorney where I feel I can do good through my profession. And my role as a senator is not what defines me. It would be what makes me capable of doing something on behalf of my community. And so when you go down to Dover with the mindset that this isn't what defines you, this is an opportunity, you're not doing, you're not making decisions to stay in office. You're making decisions because people sent you to Dover to get something done and because they have a they they see a vision and they want you to carry that out. And so I think that the more we start treating politics, politics as an expression of the folks who sent us there to do work and less about what who we are and, and our accomplishments as doing X, Y, and Z for the state. I think we are going to see more movement and I think we are going to see more of a focus on deliverables and, and listen to me, I said deliverables soon. I'm going to start saying synergies and you're going to say, uh, girl, boy, we're going <laughs> to leverage our economies of scale. <laughs> I, uh, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. No, I, I, you I, see I what I'm saying, right? Yes. I absolutely see what you're saying. I think that that's a, that's a, I mean, I'm satisfied with that answer because I think that that's right. I mean, your opponent has been there 20 years. Um, that's her identity. But when you look at accomplishments, and I've done this with with uh, with legislators in Dover who have come in here over the like, what what would you say? You know, you've accomplished in two years. And usually, it's sort of like oh, that's a great question. Uh, well, we, uh, you know, we did this, and I know you worked. For example, you worked on the the ERA, which I think again, it should have been done long ago. It was it was a, it was a, it was a big victory. Uh, it was somewhat of a symbolic victory, but it was a victory. But from a from a from the from the standpoint of material conditions, there's other things we need to do. And when you really push people about, okay, what changes were you involved with that you would look at as uh, improving people's material conditions? What was what did what was a successful achievement? And people struggle to answer that question, whether it's two years, four years, twenty years. You know, and, and so and that's 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 a tough one. And I think what you said is exactly right. You have to go down there with an idea that I have goals and priorities that I'd like to achieve. And I think that that's exactly right. And, and I'll tell you, and this is and, and keep in mind. My opponent has. Refused to debate me. She has refused to engage in a public forum outside the League of Women Voters. And I would encourage everyone listening to go and watch the League of Women Voters because I do feel that it demonstrates the stark contrast between what myself and my opponent are ready and willing to offer this district as far as representation in the next in the next term. Um, but we haven't had the opportunity to talk about how my opponent hasn't introduced and passed a bill in five years. So that would be the entirety of her last term plus a year. And I'm not saying that introducing the most number of bills is the way to rank a great legislator, right? What I'm saying is, is that there are things that our district needs, whether it's small business support, whether it's education-based reforms, you know, whether it's infrastructure in our district, because we're the, one of the oldest suburbs in Delaware. And our, since 1960s and 1970s, some of our infrastructure is failing. You would expect that, right? After 50 years. So to not have acted on one piece of legislation 
and to carry that through to completion in five years is to me an abdication of the responsibility. And people say to me, well, you know, Kathy is nice. And you know what? She is nice. She's actually my neighbor. She lives three doors up. I should have invited her into the bunker. We could have done this together. Oh, that would have been see, we could have, that would have been the debate. I would have moderated the debate. That would have been perfect. But see, and 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 she is a very nice person and and has always been lovely to my children. But that doesn't mean that she is poised to do what we need to do. That doesn't mean she's ready or willing to take on the responsibility of taking hard votes. And it doesn't mean that she is being an activist and an advocate in our community, which is exactly what our community needs. And so this is not about who's nicer. This campaign is about who is most prepared and who is best, who's most willing to do the work. I'm just asking District 5 to give me an opportunity to do the work. Yeah, I, I did not see the League of Women Voters, um, I don't know what, town hall or whatever you want to call it. I, I saw a, uh, a brief write-up about it uh, on the Delaware Liberal blog, not that they're neutral arbiters. Um, but yeah, it was pretty clear that it was, uh, it was a shellacking, um, that you came with things to offer and, um, it was like, just, it was, you just steamrolled and there was nothing on the other side. And I, and I think a lot of, um, there's a lot of districts in Delaware that are like that with, with standing incumbents who are just incumbents. Um, uh, people know them, um, they it happens all up and down levels to even at the national level. People say, well, I, I know so-and-so. He came to my event. Uh, we had a hamburger together. Uh, what a fella. But that's not really that's not really going to cut it anymore. Uh, I, and I think you mentioned it. I think it, and, and I, and I want to uh, highlight that since you said it because I truly believe that. There's a lot of people doing a lot of work for their individual campaigns in the political realm. And they're busting their ass. They're out there every day for months and months and months. It's been even harder now with, with COVID. Um, but I look at it like a broader movement. Like, it, every, there's a feeling in the state, regardless of this electoral result or that electoral result, that the status quo and the, the, the professional politician who's your neighbor and, you know, you saw them at the carnival or whatever, um, that's not good enough anymore. And so that's the important thing. And the, I, the, the fact that you all are running such great campaigns and, and, and racking up victories is, is just like icing on the cake because, you know, once this new, once this new class is seated, it's, it's, a, it's a sea change as far, as far as I'm concerned. But it, but it does, as you said, it's indicative of a broader feeling in the state and a broader movement in general about just equality, um, social and criminal justice changes uh, because we have a lot of broken, we have a lot of problems and a lot of stuff that's broken and we need people who are motivated to address it. And, and, you know, something that just struck me actually right now. So I don't know if it's going to, I don't know if it's just going to be coherent or not, but one interesting thing about COVID, how COVID has affected these campaigns. Like we always talk about how, you know, we don't canvas anymore or some, most of us don't. I haven't been, I know there's campaigns that have been, um, but you know, there's a lot of organizing that's in person, obviously. And, but I do think that COVID has brought at least my campaign's attention just so much in each neighborhood. Um, and look, I never campaigned the old way, but you know, I, I you know, was, doing advocacy work and seeing how people, you know, when everyone's in Dover and they're coming together, you know, it's meant that we are by necessity in our districts always, right? Like we're not trying to split time between driving to Dover and coming back and this event that's a statewide event, this event, right? And, you know, I have really had the opportunity to, we do outdoor meet and greets where we socially distance outside and nice in North Wilmington, a lot of neighborhoods have some grass, you know, some open space. And I've been there like alongside people. And that's actually been a real privilege to be able to focus on those interactions and to, to be so community focused and really be in touch with what each small business needs and, you know, what each neighborhood needs and, and, you know, who needs the speed bumps. And I could have a list by my desk here of everyone that needs a speed bump and also <laughs> a list sure. of everyone who doesn't want their speed bump. 
So oh, yes. I'm thinking we can just lift speed bumps from the places they don't want them and put them where they want them. <laughs> yeah, that's always fun. We need one here, but not here, there. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the classic. But um, I, I think that I think it really identifies. Like, I think it really highlights the difference between the campaigns. You know, because because we this campaign. A inspires me every day. The people I have met on this campaign who have come to the table and brought their skills to bear, especially people between the ages of 18 and 22 who have really selflessly dedicated their time and, and their energy and ev like just everything to, to be here to make this happen. Um, you know, a lot of our volunteers are people who haven't been involved in political campaigns before. They're people who haven't been activated in this community because there hasn't really, you know, been something, you know, this big as a this much of a reason, right? Like 2020, 2016 first and now 2020 has activated all of us, right? And and so I really do feel like we're able to harness that energy and our volunteers are coming out and they're they're learning about organizing and campaigning alongside me. And you you contrast that with my opponent who has essentially outsourced her campaign infrastructure to a third party who raised $12,000 in an election year. This is someone who no, told me she always takes her re-elections very seriously. Um, if you take it seriously, you're out there in the community. If you take it seriously, you are building the infrastructure, including the financial infrastructure to run a, a legitimate campaign. And, you know, our, campaign is built on people power there we have you know we have over 1200 i think at this point you know contributors or what i don't know the stats finance people know the stats i don't want to misrepresent the stats but you know we have folks who are donating five dollars because they know that those five dollars are going to help us do the next big thing that we need to do in the campaign and that's a kind of model of governance that we want to see i think in our communities i don't think that campaign campaign infrastructure can then become governance infrastructure it doesn't then it doesn't go from everyone helped us get where we need to be to then that i just go to dover and make the decisions i see fit i mean there's got to be transparency there's got to be communication there's got to be one-on-one -on -one meetings you know in my mind the role of a senator is being there with everyone and going through it with them and hearing them um and having to explain yourself and be honest about your vote which we haven't seen in a yeah. long time. Yeah, I think that's part of that that movement. Um, you know, Carl uh, isn't able to join us today, but he, he ran Medina's campaign and we were talking about it last night. And of the team of Carl and the campaign team and most of the volunteers, the, the oldest person on the team was Medina. She's 26 or 27. And what and a job this, they did. And this is happening all, This is as you said, this is happening on your campaign. This is happening in Marie Pinckney in the thir Route 13 corridor, et cetera. And and that only that only grows, um, you know, the work that Jess's campaign did. Now, she didn't get a result, but it was a success in the fact that it's a it's a it was a fundraising success. It was an organizing success. They signed up just volunteer tons of volunteers. I talked to a group who were going to stand up a DSA chapter in Delaware and uh, one of the folks, uh, Taisha Greer is her name. She's from Dover. And I asked her how she got into this, and she was like, oh, you know, I was just always doing community work, and, like, I worked in, uh, in, in, I was a medical professional and just trying to get, you know, working in schools with kids. And finally, I just I had enough, and I called the Jess campaign and said, sign me up. And now she's part of a group who's going who's gonna to stand up a DSA organizing committee here. And so it's all one big movement. And so I, I just, I, I love to hear all of that. It's so And important. I think, too, what, what you're saying, too, with, with that example of that volunteer is that's breaking down the walls between issue-based community organizing and political organizing and really recognizing that, you know, the fight for political, you know, for a seat at the table via you know, the political organizing is really just a mechanism to get to where we need to get to those, you know, community issues and make sure those community issues are heard and making sure that those apparatuses or apparatus, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, octopi i don't know um yeah. you know whatever the making sure that those two groups are talking and making sure that they are helping each other succeed in their goals and that's a perfect example of someone who has 
the wealth of knowledge, I'm sure, because I mean, if you meet community organizers, they know everybody and they know, you know, and they have every, all the great ideas of how we can get there and they just need to be heard. They need someone to bring them to Dover and say, you know, this is what we need from the state perspective or to city council or to county council, wherever it is to get us where we need to go. Well, let me let me. I, I have one more question, and it's been um, kind of digging at me. Somebody shared this with me, and I'm I'm interested in your thoughts. So, um, there was a fundraising email sent out on your behalf from a Democratic State Senate candidate in my district, Sarah McBride. Uh, in that email, she cites you as saying that you decided to challenge your Republican opponent because you were disappointed in the woman that you voted for. <clears throat> And I thought to myself, is a Delaware Democrat a disappointed Republican or not? Like, I'm interested in, in that thought. Like, I, I sort of understand it. I mean, people's sort of perspectives change. Um, I know mine has. I, I don't have any real problem with that, especially when, you know, you have a, a, you know, your representative is your neighbor and you know them. Everybody's sort of susceptible to that. Um, but I was just, I, I was... Um, I was intrigued by that, and and I wonder what you have to, you know, what your, what the background of that is. Absolutely. Well, for I mean, it's it's a simple explanation. I did vote for Kathy Cloutier in twenty sixteen because I am first and foremost a choice voter. I believe that um, a woman's right to choose is fundamental. I believe it's constitutional. I believe in Roe. I am incredibly grateful that the legislature codified Roe here in Delaware. I feel safer. I feel safer for my two children who are who are will grow up to be young women. Um, and Kathy was the pro-choice candidate on the ticket. And part of that experience, really hard experience and hard choice for me, is why I'm sitting here today. Because I wanted there to be a candidate who represented a choice platform along with the other, I'll say democratic values, because let's face it, democratic party is taking us where we need to go in the future, you know, that I believe in. And again, if you wanna see the change, if you want there to be that choice on the ballot, then sometimes you have to step up. And that is a huge reason why I'm here today. I mean, that statement was true. That is a driving force. I mean. We can in Delaware talk about responsible split, ticket splitting. And so many people in my community have done that for years, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. You talk to Sonia Sloan, who um, was emailing me this. If this tells you anything about how wonderful and dedicated this woman was, emailing me from the hospital about what we're going to do about my campaign. You know, she for many years worked with people who she felt were going to take Delaware forward. And some of those were people like Joe Biden. Some of those were people were Republicans. And sometimes, and that, and sometimes it was Kathy Cloutier. But Sonia and I came to the same decision after seeing Kathy's failure to show up for the ERA the first time and that vote failing. After seeing Kathy's inability to stand strong on things that she supposedly stood for, like choice. And there was no more time to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I think in 2020, we just can't take anything for granted. We can't give anyone the benefit of the doubt. I will not be splitting my ticket in 2020. I think the responsible thing to do is to vote for Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and Democrats up and down the ticket. And I really believe that that like I said, is the most responsible thing to do. And I would implore other Democrats and independents to take a look at what's happening at the national stage, to take a look at what's happening at the Senate level in Delaware. The Republican Party is welcoming these candidates with open arms. My quote unquote nice opponent is supporting the campaigns of Dave Lawson, of Colin Benini. She's not standing up against Lauren Whitsky. And so for my money, there is no smarter decision, more responsible decision than to support the Democratic Party in 2020. 
Well, I, I will have to say I, I agree with you. Um, for all of my, uh, you know, for all the show I put on here, um, I, I have, I, I've, I've, I don't know if it's gone out yet, but, you know, my, my ballot is in. I've, um, you know, I've sent it in. It's been accepted. And I voted for, and I voted for, for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, uh, even in a safe blue state, um, simply because as, as the great political scientist and, and uh, trade unionist at Penn, uh, Adolph Reed Jr. said, uh, sometimes you have to scrub the toilet. And, um, you know, we, I think Lauren Witzke is a good example. Uh, it's just the, the, the dirt needs to be swept away because we're not going to get anywhere um, pretending that we can all sit around and, and you know, and be, and be cordial to each other and just think that that's going to be enough because it isn't. And, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, sometimes, um, sometimes even people that think the way I do have to understand that <clears> – <throat> The vote is just a tool. It's just a thing you do individually. Um, unless there's a huge sort of mass movement behind it, uh, which we don't, we haven't organized well enough yet. Uh, we're getting there, but we're just not there yet. Then you have to make, you know, strategic moves with your with your vote. Um, it's not, you know, it's not the the absolute manifestation of your moral being. It's just a vote. So do the right thing. And do the smart thing. And uh, take out the trash. Uh, I, I I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I've done that. Um, I I hope that uh, people understand that if they that we actually have a group of people who are motivated and have a list of priorities and are actually going to uh, make an effort to achieve something. I think that's important. Um, yeah. So before we before we cut it off, um, what would you say your your top couple priorities are? I mean, what are you going to be looking to do day one? Um, you know, obviously, a lot of new members means also that you know you might have some sort of mandate, but you also have to make priorities and and say what's what's going to come first, second, third. Um, where where are you on the taxonomy? Yeah, great question. And usually the one people start with, so this is good. We've already like gone through everything. Um, yeah, I get. I, I put some boring stuff at the end. No, I appreciate it because people are <laughs> going to stop listening. They probably like dropped this like a half hour ago. I love no, this it. has been interesting. Um, I think. I don't know. We should like put like a little like Easter egg in here or something for everyone who stayed on listening. Um, so obviously, when I started this campaign, we were not in a pandemic. So my priorities have changed since we've all experienced that together. And day one we need to work on relief and recovery. And that for my district means supporting schools in making sure that an equitable and accessible edu educational experience is available for all of the kids who are experienced this. And like, let, and let's not forget kind of the communal trauma that our kids are going through, you know, having to deal with leaving school, not going back to school and, and what parents are dealing with. Um, and, the second piece of that, again, for my district is small businesses. So where my district is, and we didn't like really talk about this, but you know, kind of in, um, if you think about 202 and 95, save for some squiggly lines, it's about that wedge in between the two um, all the way up to the border. And in our district, it, it's really small businesses that make up the character of the district. It's neighborhoods and small businesses. You know, within two months, you know, six weeks of, of the shutdown on, on March 13th, we saw businesses closing and shutting their doors. And that was profound for this community because, and I think it, it motivated people to go and support those businesses, but those businesses need more than what we as, you know, as, as customers can offer. And I think what I've heard from businesses is that a lot of the federal programming was difficult to access for them being smaller businesses rather than having those established relationships with banks or, or whatever, whatever, what have you. So making sure we a leverage cares funding and whatever god willing additional relief comes from hopefully a democratic congress um and senate i think we will need to do a good job making sure that money gets to the people that need need it and i know in my in my district there are small businesses that need it so so that's like day one obviously um and i think that we can't i i, I believe we need to be in session we need to find a way to make governance work, even though I, I don't believe that we're going to be on the other side of this pandemic by January. So it's important to be at work, to be legislating and governing and making sure that we're addressing 
um, the COVID need, the needs of the community in light of COVID. Um, when I started the campaign, though, you know, the two things that were really motivating to me uh, were education and healthcare, and specifically for education, um, support supporting kids in schools and teachers in schools with mental health resources, and thinking larger about the funding mechanism. And now we see with the um, with the lawsuit, the ACL lawsuit moving into a new phase after settlement, we'll see more um, we'll see more specific movement as a result of that lawsuit. Uh, but there will be more work to be done, and we'll have to be listening to the Reading uh, Commission and others who have been working and advocating in that space for years. And I hope to be a voice um, that will be in favor of the change we need, not just the change that is convenient to do. Because I'll tell you, my two kids are not school-aged yet. They soon will be. And every year that they progress through a grade where we haven't done anything, uh, you know, I have a day-to-day -day reminder that I haven't done something for other families in Delaware either. And so it, it is an urgent issue for me. Um, on the healthcare side, I know there are great healthcare advocates down in Dover and that we're sending more. And I would like to support those initiatives to make sure that we are expanding access, that we're um, bringing uh, more physicians to Delaware so that people have um, PCPs. And so, and to make sure that folks who um, kind of are are coming out of certain services are not then disadvantaged by losing their health care. As we've seen with the pandemic, health care attached to employment can be incredibly precarious for individuals. And so we need to make sure um, that there is an avenue for all to be uh, to have access to preventative health care and to coverage. So those are all big things. Um, you know, I, I didn't even get to gun control, which we need to tackle. Um, I guess that'd be day two. So I can do COVID education healthcare on day one, and then day two, we'll do gun control. But, you know, I, I think what, what I guess what I'm saying is there is so much. Yes. Um, and I'm not going to be the one leading on each of those issues. But what I will be doing is bringing my experience to bear where it's helpful. And I will um, honestly be standing next to and hopefully leading in some. But if I'm not standing next to the leaders who are saying time's it's the time is the time is now to do this. Um, and I know we have budget struggles. I know that COVID is still you know, hurting our state. But if we're going to rethink how we do things in Dover, now's the time. Um, and I, I really can't wait. I do hope very sincerely that I have the honor to represent District 5, Senate District 5 down in Dover come January. Well, I'm going to put a little seed in your mind because you, you mentioned budget struggles. And uh, my friend, my friend, Mr. Kowalko, the representative from Newark, has some ideas about how to address that particular item, uh, actually, with a small tweak to the tax code. And I hope that uh, some of the new representatives and senators will have a conversation with Representative Kowalko and potentially consider some of these changes to address these budget problems. Because um, I don't think it's going to be any surprise to anybody. The governor has already sort of hinted at austerity. We're going to get because of the COVID, we're going to get austere again. Uh, that's all fake. Um, talk to John Kowalko. We can figure that out. Um, <clears throat> before we go, I have to find out what uh, precipitated your support for Arsenal Football Club. I think maybe you were maybe you were you were drunk or you got bad advice at some point. How did that happen? How, how are you an Arsenal fan? So it's not a good story whatsoever. I didn't think so. I did. I wouldn't. I, would, I wouldn't expect it to be. Um, I should have never told you. Is my answer um, too late? No, so, so I grew my my grandparents came here uh, from Scotland in 1957, and my mom grew up going back all the time. I grew up going back all the time, spending time with my cousins and, and aunts and uncles all over there, and was really into like the Scottish football league, right? So you know, following our, our local team, Killy. And so when I started to get into the Premier League, I didn't have a team. My friend was really into Liverpool. And my husband and I, we were in college at the time. And we were like, well, we should pick a team too and, and follow that so we can like, you know, ev you know, everyone's like Eagles versus Giants. So we took a look at, at the lineups. And, you know, Arsenal at that point was doing pretty well they were you know they were sometimes top four they were you know definitely not relegation status 
And we're like, this looks like a fun team, like it has a cool history and everything like that. So it was really arbitrary. But what I love about it is just the, the hate that I get from Liverpool fans, that I get from Tottenham fans. It's fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. I will say, though, I, I'm excited about our new coach. I'm excited about seeing the team kind of find its new way. And I think that it's going to be, I think it's going to be fun to watch over the next five years. Yeah. I, I will say this, that as a longtime Spurs supporter and obviously the North London Derby is a huge Derby, Arsenal and, and Spurs are huge rivals, but because I'm not from the UK, I always had a particular, my ire is always against United. I don't like man United. So that's and the we trick. We agree on everything. And we agree. So, so there we go. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to finish this. And absolutely in agreement. We don't, no one likes Man City. I mean, because I hate United, I mean, I don't <laughs> like City now because they're better, but when City right. were like a thorn in United's side, I didn't mind it because that's like, it's like the people's team. You can't, that's fine. I'm fine with that. So, so here's the thing you're selling, you're telling me once, once we're back to quote unquote normal after the vaccine, first Derby at a bar in Wilmington, meeting of the minds. We'll get through it together. Oh, boy. See, I have a lot of Arsenal f uh, friends, too. Actually, well, here's a fun. Um, my friend who's who's gave us his basement to start this podcast, he's uh, he's actually he was born in India, but he, he grew up in London. Um, he's in 75 now. He is an Arsenal fan because his father was a huge fan of one of the old Arsenal players who's also a cricket player. And so he's been an Arsenal fan like 60 years. So he would love he would he would love for everybody to come out for a big derby. Yeah, that would be great. Love it. Absolutely. Well, everyone, um, thanks for joining. Um, do as Kyle says, straight Democrat this time. I, I, I can't believe I'm even saying it. It just feels it doesn't sound right coming out of my mouth. But this is this is what we need to do. And then all the, the, the first day of the session, if we're allowed in the building, we're all going to go down and we're going to, you know, tell Kyle we don't like what she's doing or we'll make up some story or we'll, we'll pressure her in some fashion. But we have to get these folks into Dover so that we have, uh, you know, we have a team of people that we can talk to, that we can strategize with. And if we don't like what they're doing, we'll, we'll kick them out. But but for this time, uh, in, especially uh, in the fifth district for Senate, Kyle Evans Gay, please. Uh, Kyle, thank you for, for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Left is best, everybody. Speak to you soon.